I want you to think back to when you were a kid, and maybe you've gone swimming before, and nothing beats going swimming with a pair of goggles. Um, my first ones were really small and little and nothing like those, uh, but it didn't really matter. Um, and actually, I didn't really have any because my first swimming pool was a horse tank. Yes, and you grow up on a farm, you get the farmer's kiddie pool is what it is. Maximum depth, maybe 24 to 30 inches, somewhere around there by above the knees. Um, and that's what we swam in, all of us boys trying to fit in in there. And uh, basically, all well, you can do in a swimming pool like that is just get the whirlpool going. And that's what we did a lot of. And then you try to go back the other direction. And then you maybe look for things in there. It didn't take long. We would play games where you look for things underwater. It was only so big, so you found it pretty quick just by touching. But, you know, you, the water wasn't always the clearest, right? So the first time I ever got a, a mask to put on with a snorkel, man, things got clear. It was pretty incredible. Matter of fact, when I got older, Jenny and I uh, went down south uh, Florida on vacation a few times, and I get easily bored. I'm not one of those, I want to sit in the sun. Um, you guys know from me, I'm not really supposed to be out in the sun a lot, but what do you do? So look for seashells, go walk around, right? Go get in the water. That's what I would do. Day number two of one of our trips, I went out and got some mask and snorkel, and I was able to, that's not me, I was able to get out and enjoy, it was like a whole new world. All of a sudden you're in the ocean, you're like, wow, I can see things, and it was, it was pretty incredible. My eyes were opened up, and uh, everything all of a sudden was pretty clear. Well, this is sort of what Jesus does when he comes here. In Luke chapter 17, verse 20-21, Jesus is just being grilled by these religious leaders. They're called Pharisees. And about God's kingdom. When's it going to come? And, and then uh, Jesus said, the kingdom of God doesn't come by counting the days on the calendar. Nor when somebody says, hey, look here, or there it is. And why? Because God's king- kingdom is clearly among you. You see, the religious leaders couldn't see it. We couldn't see it. And Jesus is like, The kingdom of God is already here. You can't see it? Why don't you put on my spiritual goggles? And I want you to see what I'm seeing and what I'm trying to tell you. You know, if we have something to learn from the Pharisees, these religious leaders, is that they could stare God in the face and not recognize him. Right? But the kingdom of God was right there in front of them. And they're asking about it. The kingdom of God is what Jesus spent most of his time actually talking about. If you read through the New Testament, oh yeah... The mission of Jesus was come to seek and save those who are lost. That's us. But the ministry of Jesus included healing and teaching, helping those in need, and giving us spiritual sight and clarity. He was trying to wake us up to a whole new world of seeing and thinking and living. And he does throughout Scripture. And some of us, it just takes us a little bit longer, right? But as followers of Jesus... We don't get to know the details of every chapter of the life of his story. But we do know the ending of his story. That there's this arc of redemption that Jesus came to save us. And in the end, he gets all the glory. And the way to view our life right now as we look at that arc of redemption is like, I don't know what all is going on. I know where it's going to go. But Jesus wasn't just trying to get us to heaven. He was trying to get heaven into us. He wanted us to understand that the kingdom is here now among us. So we may think sometimes that being a Christian 
and living in this world goes hand in hand. But actually, it's very opposing. The more we read about God's kingdom, the more we listen to Jesus speak, the clearer things become. And we start to see that there is a difference between a kingdom of God and a worldly kingdom. What we learn about the kingdom of God as we read through the Bible is more than I can share in the next 23 minutes. I might even have to go a couple minutes over. So the next 29 minutes or so, right? So how do I summarize all up into a short time? I'll, I'll do my best, but understand this. The kingdom of God is not a geographical location. It's not like, well, there it is. There it is. It's not like that. It's a spiritual realm where we share in God's eternal ways. The kingdom of God will be fully realized as we read in Revelation chapter 1 and 22. In the end, we'll see it. But it begins in the New Testament. John chapter 1, verse 49, Nathaniel meets Jesus. And the first thing Nathaniel says is this. Jesus is the king of Israel. Wait a minute. Do you that? Here's this guy that's going to start following Jesus. He goes, here's the king of Israel. Wait, if there's a king, there must be a what? A kingdom. Right? Well, everybody's sort of like, well, wait a minute. He's a king? And then John chapter 2 turns water into wine. The hype begins. There's a lot of miracles taking place, a lot of excitement. John chapter 3, Nicodemus, one of these religious leaders, comes to Jesus and says, Hey, we've been catching what's been going on in your life. Matter of fact, it says this. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs evidence God's with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. There's there's an entrance fee here. What's going on? See, the kingdom of God would be not be geographical, but it was going to be spiritual. It wasn't just national with this group of people or that group of people. It was personal, and it began in the hearts of those who placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Only the way to be a citizen is through salvation. John chapter three, verse sixteen. We know that verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever Believes on him will what? Not perish, but have what? Eternal life. There's where salvation begins by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. John 3, 31 to 36, we read that Jesus is comes from God above. And those who believe Jesus has have eternal life. They join his kingdom. They become kingdom people. Church, that is you and I. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are citizens of heaven. You are kingdom people. And as citizens, well, how do we live as kingdom people in this earthly kingdom? Those are two different kingdoms. How do we live it out? Where's our focus go? You know, then that's where we put on those spiritual goggles and things become a little bit clear. Because as you wade out in the water of life, it gets a little murky. Sometimes we don't know how to live and decide and make decisions. But you put on the clarity of the gospel, all of a sudden it's like, as a kingdom person, this is the way I should live. Jesus helped us out. Matthew chapter 5 through 7, we have the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to take some time, read through it this week, and you'll see all the differences between the way we live as kingdom people as opposed to the way this earth and the way people live on earth. Give you a couple examples. Forgiving versus holding grudges. God's people should be forgiving. God's people should live lives that are pure, not full of lust. God's people should be living lives that are showing love, not hatred. Selflessness, not selfishness. Generosity, not greediness. 
there's a stark contrast between God's kingdom and this earthly kingdom and how we should live. And Jesus is pointing them out left and right. But towards, that's at the very beginning of his ministry. But let's fast forward to the end of his ministry. In your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. I'm actually going to start in verse 20, but the story starts in verse 17. Jesus is walking with his disciples. He is walking not only with his disciples, but some of the family members of the disciples. This is a sort of a larger group. And where are they walking? They're going to Jerusalem. They're on their way to the Passover. They're actually on their way. You remember the Palm Sunday? Jesus comes right in. This is it. This is that moment, right before it. They're on their way. They were days away from Jesus being crucified and resurrecting from the dead. And we get to this point. And verse 20 says, Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What's your request, he said. She replied, In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied. We're able Jesus told them, you'll indeed drink from a bitter cup, but I have no right to say you'll sit on my right or on my left. My father's prepared these places for the ones he has chosen. And when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. They were mad. Let me, let me help you out here, because I know this never happens around here. Mom comes up, hey, Jesus, my boys are stars. Can they be on your right and left? Can they have a position of authority and power? Because they are pretty special, and they are my sons. Now, we don't know what that's about, because I know there's no parents in here. You probably don't know any parents that have ever gone to a coach or a teacher or a principal or their boss and say, my kid's pretty special. They should be starting. My kid's pretty important. They should have this role. My kid is, you know. Now, see, none of you probably know anybody like that, so it's probably hard for you to relate right now, okay? That's spiritual sarcasm from the pulpit, okay? A lot of us probably know people like that. We might be, I've probably been like that, thinking, my son should be this way, right? I get it. So I'm looking at this situation going, wow. Even the disciples' mom were tagging along going, hey, Jesus, how about my kids? And Jesus' like, you don't know what you're asking. But that's where we are as people. We want power. We want position. Because that's the way the world works, Right? And that's what they were thinking. But Jesus goes, that's the earthly kingdom. You don't know about my kingdom. I've been talking about my kingdom all this time. Look what Jesus says. He says, you know that the rulers of this world lorded over the people. Officials flaunt authority over those under them. But among you, it's different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life for ransom for many. Jesus says, yeah, that's the earthly kingdom. Power, position, serve me. You see it all the time. I see it. It drives me crazy when I watch a football game. And these big athletic men, I'm throwing my shoulders back because i got to walk like one right now, right? They're like, they come off the field like, man, you know, they're faster than lightning, They are stronger than Superman. But when they get to a sideline, what happens? They got this little girl comes over the water bottle. 
Spawn, putting water into the mouth. Why? Because the water bottle must be made of kryptonite because these big hulky men can't even lift up a water bottle. Like, I can't do it. Can you do it for me? Serve me. Thank you, little girl. Off with you, right? Maybe that's not what happens, okay? But I sit there and go, dude, you're huge. You can take one of those big five-gallon things and just drink it, right? But we are so used to what? Being served. I'm in position of power. I should drive a certain vehicle. I should have these rights. That's earthly kingdom talk. Jesus says, not so with us. So you're a citizen of heaven. You belong in my kingdom. I love what scripture says. It goes, among you, you'll be different. Another scripture translation says, not so with you. I love it. Jesus basically puts it in their face like, you think that's what this world's all about? This world is my kingdom, not so with you. I believe a lot of times God looks at us and says, which kingdom are you living right now, Rex? You don't live that way in my kingdom, not so with you. The Jews, they waited for a Messiah to come and establish a kingdom. Like the Jews were like, Jesus is the Messiah? Excellent. Get rid of the Roman rule. We don't like these Romans. We don't like how they are ruling us right now, how they are lording things over us. Jesus is going to come in. He's going to bring in new big swords and spears, and we're going to take power. They didn't get it. See, they wanted peace and prosperity. They wanted all these things, but Jesus is like, that's not how my kingdom rolls. Have you not listened to me the last three years and all my messages? The big one, Sermon on the Mount, that very first one. I sort of set the stage for kingdom living. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we're temporary residents here on this planet, people. Our real home is with God. We're just visiting. Our loyalty is to God. Our citizenship is to God. This right now, this earth, we're here. And we need to be responsible. We need to live in a way that is right. But our citizenship is to God first. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 to 22. Paul says this. The apostle says, Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us, the death on the cross, resurrection. We are in new life in Him, right? So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You're members of God's family. Look around, church, family. This is it right here, citizenship, family, right here. Verse 20. Together... We are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We're carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made a part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Do you hear that? We are joined together. God's spirit lives in us. We are his citizens, his people. Paul says something similar to the, uh, in Philippians 1.27. He says, above all. You must live at, listen, it isn't just enough that you get a title, citizenship, okay? You need to live as citizens of heaven. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news in Christ. Then whether I come, see again, or only hear about you, I will know you're standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Paul also said in Philippians 3.20, we're citizens of heaven. Where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we're eagerly waiting for him to return as Savior. So church, listen. As citizens, as representatives of the kingdom of God, not this world, we need to know what our role is, right? 
Because if I'm a citizen and you're a citizen of heaven, how should I live here on earth? It's a good question to ask. And the Bible helps us with that. Let me first of all say this. If you are truly living out your faith as a citizen of heaven, as a Christian, as a full believer, you are going to look weird. You are. You're going to watch different things. You're going to listen to different things. You're going to act a different way. What some people say is okay, you're going to say it's not okay. And what some people say is not okay, you're going to say it's okay. People are going to look at you and go, you are weird. Matter of fact, you're odd. Well, let me help you with that. Yes, I am. I'm odd. Let me help you understand what odd means, okay? It's okay to be odd. First of all, oh, obedient. As an odd person, as a citizen of heaven, I am trying to obey God's word. I'm trying to live out his commands. And he gives me a lot of them, but Jesus summed it up with two that we said last week. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. Two of the greatest commands. Church, how are we doing with that? See, if you are odd, you're obeying that command. You're going to love God when the rest of the world doesn't want to love God. You're going to love each other when everybody's hating each other. And people are going to say, you should be mad right now. I don't know, I got a little bit of love going on in me. You're odd. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Because I'm obeying God's word. Well, then what's the next one? D, you're displaying fruit. Well, what does that mean? This is, uh, I love apple season, okay? So you go out to the orchard. You're going to go pick some apples. And let's say you walk up to a tree. You've got your bushel basket going. And you look. No fruit. How disappointing. Right? The whole point is to go out and find fruit in a tree. But when you get to a tree, you look at the, the roots. It goes into the core. It goes off to the branches. There's the leaves. There should be fruit. But there's no fruit. That's disappointing. See, as Christians... We are connected to the true vine, who is Jesus Christ. He is the vine, we're the branches. And we bear fruit, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness. Remember that in Galatians? So there it is. We're going to live out that fruit. But if we don't have the fruit, are we really kingdom people? Oh, you are odd if you're displaying fruit. If you're joyful in times of, of misery, it's like, what? Why are you so joyful? I don't know. Got Jesus in me, I guess. Something's going on. You're odd. Yeah, I am. I'm odd. Last D on there would be is that we make disciples. We have a desire to make disciples. Church, I want you to think about this. If you serve on Sunday morning in Sunday, uh, the Sunday Children's Church or Wednesday night with GPS or Tupas or you're serving in a Bible study, you are doing this. You have a desire to make disciples. Going back and serving on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday morning is not about, well, somebody needs to fill a volunteer spot. Jen just keeps asking, will somebody volunteer? I'll do it. No, it should be, I'll do it. I get to help make disciples. I get to work with little kids and help them grow near to God. What an incredible privilege. Oh, and by the way, you know what that means? I'm living out the command of Jesus in Matthew 28. Therefore, go and what? Make disciples. That was a command. That's the letter O, beginning of odd, obedience, right? So as we are obeying the Lord, as we are displaying fruit, as we are desiring to make disciples, yeah, we're going to stick out. We are definitely going to be odd. And that's okay. That's a good thing. So let me go back to Luke chapter 17, verses 20, 21. When the kingdom of God, when is the kingdom of God going to come? Everybody wants to know. 
This world wants to know, when's God's kingdom going to come? Jesus said the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. Won't be able to say, hey, here it is, it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. Jesus said, it's here. It's me. And it's going to be me, my spirit, living in all of you. It's here. As citizens of heaven, the kingdom of God is amongst us. As citizens, how do we love and live daily in a world that seems to be filled with turmoil? We've got two kingdoms going on here clashing right now, church. We've got an earthly kingdom and the kingdom of God. And they collide all the time. The world we live in is temporary. It's not our kingdom. But with Christ as citizens of heaven, we are eternally in his eternal kingdom. So let's be specific. What should my role be right now when it comes to voting? In the next three weeks, some of you have already started to vote. Some of you are going to be voting. And the question is to all Christians, hey, how is the Christians going to vote? As citizens of God's kingdom, how should you vote? They're asking the question, and Christians, we cannot pretend that, well, we're just supposed to preach the gospel. We aren't supposed to be involved in the world. No, we are. We're supposed to be engaged in this process as well. This isn't our kingdom, but we are to be engaged in it. We are to be stewards here. I'll never forget when I was in college, I was a sophomore. I held a leadership position. It was that of what's called a resident assistant. But I was it's in, at my school, they called it a personal assistant. So I was a PA. I was basically in charge of all the guys on my floor with another guy. We had 40-plus college guys on my floor. We had the east side, and we had the west side, and we had the center. And we had three floors. I was on first west. So the first floor, west side, those guys, I was under my responsibility. Well, we would have our meetings as all of our PAs got together with our hall director and cover things, how we should be directing and living and leading out. Well, a couple weeks go by, and we knew, we heard Third floor, west side, third west. They're called the wild, wild west. They're pretty crazy, okay? They had a reputation. I mean, seriously, you do not walk underneath any of their windows when you go out the door because they might be dropping water on you. They, they just do crazy stuff. Well, they're going to throw a party. So they're going to clear out their lobby. They're going to bring sand in from our lake or pond, really. And they bring it up, and they're going to have a, a Hawaiian party, and they're going to blast the music. There's going to be dancing. And in my college, even though it was a small Christian university, you weren't supposed to be dancing, and the music, eh, okay, whatever. Um, but the dancing was a no-go, right? Oh, there was, there was dance, and there was a lot of music, and, and there was a party, and come Monday, we were all called into our hall directors, all of us PAs. And um, yeah, it was Third West. They threw the party. Their leadership is in trouble, aren't they? No, we were all in trouble. Because we all knew. See, in leadership, even though something goes on over here, but you're a part of that, guess who's responsible? We are, right? So even when we know something's going on in our household and we choose to do nothing about it, we're responsible for that choosing to do nothing about it. And even though I chose to do nothing about it, I was in trouble for that. I should have done something. The Bible shows us throughout Scripture that there are times in leadership where men and women of God, even though the person above them may not have been a godly person, they were still there serving. Joseph, David, Esther. You find these people in the Bible, or Daniel, um, you find these people in the Bible, and they had governing leadership positions with somebody above them who did not believe in the same God. 
But they were involved. You know why they're involved? Because they believed that they were able to do something on behalf of God in that nation. And so they had leadership position, just as we do. So in the same way, I would say, anyone here involved in leadership position in politics? Good, you need to be. We need Christians involved today serving in leadership positions. We need to work for better, whatever, public schools, justice system, whatever it may be. We need Christians engaged today in politics. It seems like everybody's like, oh, politics seems like such a dirty word. Listen, it's here, and we need the right people in the right position for the right things to happen, right? Nevertheless, as a believer, if I'm not involved there, I am, as many of you are, registered to vote. So as a believer, I want you to understand this. We can register under any party affiliation we want. We can be active in politics, but we have to be careful not to identify the Christian church or faith in any political party as being the Christian party. Hope you're following me on this one, because Jesus was not a Democrat. Jesus was not a Republican. Jesus was not a Libertarian or a Socialist. But it seems that we tend to take the Bible and we have a political position and we're like, here's my political position. It's like, oh, let's see, how can I get the Bible to line up so my political party is correct or my political decision is correct? Church, that's wrong. As a citizen of heaven, here's my first piece of truth and everything else lines up behind it. And we must be careful not to do the reverse. Because when we do the reverse, we take things that are thrown out in this world saying, well, that is political. And I'm going to tell you right now, you can find anything in Scripture to back up anything you want and try to justify what you believe. That's wrong. Bible first, everything else behind it. Now, this doesn't mean the church can ever speak on social or economic or political matters because the Bible often does. Racism is a sin. Violating the second of the greatest of two commandments, to love one another as we love ourselves. So we know that that is a sin. The Bible commands us, not, uh, commands us to lift up the poor and to defend the rights of the oppressed. The Bible also gives clarity to us that, you know what? Abortion is a sin. It is. Oh, and marriage between same sex. God designed marriage for male, female, day one. Now, I'm bringing up all these things. Why? Because it is good for the church to stand up, to speak up, and tell truth. That is in God's word. But here's what happens. I don't want to hurt anybody in my family because i got a family member that thinks otherwise. i got a family member who maybe acts a certain way, and, and I love my family member. I know it's a sin, but you know what? I'm going to support them. I'm supporting you. Can I just share something with you? When you support sin, you slam God. And it seems that we're okay with hurting God sometimes. That's not good. And sometimes the church doesn't want to hear it because you just stepped on my toes. Well, let me dance on your toes because if I don't, God will. And I would think that you would want to hear more from God than me. And so please listen to God first. I'll give you my opinion. But I'm going to tell you right now, here is truth. And if we ignore truth and we start going with our opinions then what does that mean? That we love our opinions and our situations more than we love the Lord. Ah, oh, that's tough, isn't it? But as citizens of heaven, 
God reminds us, I want you to love me first. Then I want you to love others. You know what our problem is? We want to love others first and then love God. Listen, it begins with loving God first. Then you love others. And if you've got a family member or a situation in your own life, it's like, you know, you can still love them, but you do not need to support the sin they're in. And I'm going to say right now, look around. We're all sinners. I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm not saying you're better than somebody else. We're all in trouble, okay? But to flaunt it and to agree with it is not good. We all need to repent. We all need to seek God. As a Christian, when I vote, here's the situation, listen carefully. When I vote as a Christian, I have the ability to vote my opinion in supporting or not supporting, not just a candidate, but their agenda. This is my worry. There's a lot of agendas out there politically that go against God's word. And we know that because God says certain things are sin. But when a political party says, oh, this is okay, it's not okay. And I know some people are saying, you know what, um, I, I really don't like that candidate. I don't like the rhetoric they use. I don't like the way they, they talk. They're annoying. Both candidates can be either way with that, right? We can find fault with anybody that's, that's running. We, we can because we're judgmental people. It's easy for us to find fault with people. And so we can do that, but listen very carefully. We're not voting in a pastor. You're voting in a person who's going to be in charge of our nation, but you're also voting in their political agenda and everybody underneath them. So I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'm going to ask you that you be discerning as kingdom people to know the policies that are out there, to know the agendas of the candidates. On the back, uh, by the blessings box, there was a, a magazine that came out of a brochure, like a voter guide, put out by Citizens for Community Values. Um, it's the same one that's used by a lot of churches to help you understand where certain candidates stand and their, their policies. Are we as a church allowed to put this out there? Yes, we are. As I a pastor able to endorse anybody? No, I'm not. If you ever look at my social media, you'll never see me post anything political. Why is that? Because I cannot. There's things as a 501, 3C. There's things as a nonprofit. There's things with the IRS. There's things with, that we get in trouble for. There are certain things that I understand I'm not supposed to do. You want to talk to me privately about it? I will be more than glad to talk to you privately about it. But as a pastor, I will tell you this. A church will not endorse a certain political candidate or party, but we will tell you as citizens of heaven, we will be discerning in prayer as to how to pray to vote for the policies that are out there. If you would like to use that guide or just sort of look at it, see what it says, feel free to check it out. As I said, I've gotten that from other pastors and, and see it and it's a good thing. But I understand that we are in a time when, when it's quickly approaching here and everybody's like getting really worried about it. Let me say this. You need to understand this. There are groups like Freedom From Religion, the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, who stand dramatically against Christianity. You need to understand that. They hate our faith. Freedom from religion has got a wall with FCA on it. We're targeted. They want to get us out of every school. Eight years ago, we started a leadership camp with FCA. You know why? Because I believe in seeing the way the America was moving, that we were going to lose our role, our opportunity as volunteers, as pastors, as teachers, to share our faith in schools 
to come in and do an FCA huddle, Youth for Christ, to do a Bible study. We're going to lose our position. I saw it quickly sliding away. You probably didn't know that we were getting to the point where we were going to be asked, as pastors, to turn in our notes for sermons to the government so that they could understand and look and see, are we saying anything against the government? You probably didn't know that. You probably knew, though, that some places of business were being told who they can and cannot serve. If I'm a Christian owner, business owner, and there's something I disagreed with scripturally, and I was not going to support it with my business, I could have my business shut down and taken away from me. Did you know that? See, a lot of this stuff was going on eight years ago, and things were pretty scary. As a Christian at that point in time, I was, I was worried for our nation. But I'll say this, in the last three and a half years, we've been given so much more religious freedom than we've ever had. We really have. I'm thankful for that. I do not worry anymore about going into schools or whatever. There's a lot of freedom that, at least in our area, and I understand every geographical position in the United States is differently. I get that. But I've seen the religious freedoms, and I'm very thankful for that. But I'm still believing that we need to raise up our young kids, our children, to share their faith in schools because there might be a day when, as adults, we can't. Those are important things. I understand, and and, uh, I'm going to go to this real quick. James Dobson said this. This is not a junior high or high school popularity personality contest. He said, I'm not voting for the person. I'm voting for the platform. And every religious leader uh, out there is saying similar things. So I want you to remember your role as the body of Christ. We are called not to this earthly kingdom to live in it. Okay, we're here. We are citizens of heaven. From the kingdom of God. We are temporarily on this earth. Therefore, while we're on this earth, we need to be the salt and the light. We need to make a difference on this planet. And we can be involved in many ways, but we need to prayerfully consider as we vote, as we get engaged, how to do it in a way that honors God. And not call out other people. Like it or not, when you push that button on the voting booth, you're not only casting your vote to elect as an individual, you are also lending your support for the moral, spiritual, and philosophical positions of that individual and that political party. So I encourage you, be informed as a voter. As a child of God, you have that responsibility. I have that responsibility. I'm going to ask the worship team to, to come forward. You know, Jeremiah, he was uh, in the homeland and um, taken from his homeland. He was in Babylon. And, and God looked at Jeremiah, and Jeremiah's like, I can't believe I'm living in such an ungodly place. And he hated it there. And um, God told Jeremiah, he said this. He goes, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. God told Jeremiah, he said, you know what? I know the place you're living in right now. Mm, Very worldly. I get it. But I want you to pray for the welfare of where you're living right now, Jeremiah. Because if your nation is doing better, then you'll be doing better. And you'll be able to do what I've called you to do as a prophet of God. And I sit there and I think like, yeah, sometimes how I feel. I'm in a world that seems a little chaotic, but God wants, I believe God wants our nation to heal and get better. I really do. I believe God wants our nation to be able to prosper, and not just financially, but to grow. 
And when that happens, that means it gives me the opportunity to have freedom to do what we're doing right here. I enjoy this freedom, don't you? I'm thankful that I can worship at a church on a Sunday morning. Would you stand, please? As citizens of heaven, children of God, I want to encourage you this morning. None of us in here are perfect. Get it. First one to cast a vote right here, okay? But I know what God's called me to do and how to live for him. And it's a challenge. But I know that as a citizen of heaven, I have that responsibility. And then as a citizen of these United States, I also have responsibility. So I encourage you as children of God, live out your faith. And then as you live out your faith, do the right thing. Get out and vote. Who you vote for? Between you and God. Okay? You know what you're doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you for giving us the opportunity, Lord, to worship you today and to sort of look at what does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? And it includes the responsibility of how we live right now in our communities. So God, we pray for this nation. We pray for those in position of leadership. We pray as the days draw near to election. Lord, that as maybe it seems things might be a little bit more chaotic, that you bring peace. God, I pray that in the next few weeks, we see more peace than we've ever seen before. I pray that we have discernment knowing how to respond as believers in Jesus Christ. I pray that we're not judgmental. I pray that we're not angry with each other, but that we love you first and then we love each other. God, I pray that for these things. And God, I'm going to trust you whatever happens because you are God, you are in charge. However this nation turns, whoever's in position of leadership, I trust you, God, because I am a citizen of your kingdom first. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time of worship. In thy name we pray. Amen.